Today, I'm going to talk to you about you. Now, I'm not a magician. I'm not a mind reader. In fact, I'm an actuary by training. We're the people who tell you how long you're expected to live for. We like counting births and deaths. My grandfather was also an actuary, so it runs in our family. He would tell me stories using his understanding of life expectancy, of visiting graveyards in Scottish villages, trying to piece together our family history from data carved into weather-beaten stones. But before we get to you, as an actuary, it excites me there are some fascinating demographic events taking place in the world today. In China, we're seeing historically low birth rates, well below the long-term downward trend, driven by the high cost of raising children. COVID has led to people further postponing having children. And in the stock market, companies like Pigeon that sell baby products into the Chinese market have been punished. At the other end of the scale, here in Australia, we're seeing less deaths than normal. Last year, I worked on the profession's response to COVID-19. Jennifer Lang won Actuary of the Year for her role in reading this group. Along with others, she recently published a paper showing that changes in behaviour around social distancing and the impacts of restrictions led to less death due to respiratory conditions. So we're seeing less births in China and less deaths in Australia. But this is not an actuarial discussion. It's a conversation about you. I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to focus on what we know about you. And the reality is that we'll know more about you after we analyse the data you leave behind. It's that data which is becoming so important. It's that data that's at the heart of the world's most valuable companies, Amazon, Google, Facebook, Alibaba, Tencent. They're all about data. So what do we know about you? The ASX Investor Survey of 2020 told us that 6.6 .6 million Australians hold shares, with about a quarter of them having started in the last two years, and almost half of these new investors are female. On average, Australian share market investors are 46 years old, with seven years investing experience and a median portfolio of $130,000 outside of their home and super. The larger portfolios skew to an older demographic and are held by more males. A beta share survey of the rapidly growing ETF market suggests we're closing in on 1 million users of ETFs. This newer product area may be skewing to a younger demographic, with two-thirds of first-timers aged under 40 since the pandemic started. Our quoted managed funds, picks and packs, are our offering in this arena. But if you're one of our investors, then on average you're age 61. If you have an advisor, you might be closer to 68. This is in the context of the average Australian adult being like me and like the average stock market investor in their mid-40s. We know that wealth skews to the older age group because we have bills to pay, children to raise and houses to pay off. We also know that compound interest takes time to work its magic. So our balances get larger as we get older and the money we put aside grows. So while 60% of Australian adults are aged under 50, they probably only have about 25% of investable assets. And across the wealth industry globally, it's well known that the customer base, weighted by assets, skews to the older population. But with long-term sustainability in mind and intergeneral wealth transfers on the horizon, our industry is always talking about wanting to attract this mysterious younger investor. If we define the young as under 50, then young Australians will have approaching $1 trillion in assets by 2030 before we consider any intergenerational transfers. So it sounds like a worthwhile problem to address. But it's you specifically, yes, it's you that I want to talk about. There is one thing I know with certainty. It's not your age, it's not your income, and it's not your assets. 
the one thing I know about you, and I'm very confident, I know that you are engaged. You're engaged in your investments. You're engaged with your wealth. You're engaged in learning by listening to experts, if I may indulge myself. You are the key demographic our industry should really be interested in. You are the engaged cohort, to use an actuarial term. In 2019, we analysed all our direct investors to better understand retention. We wanted to know how long clients stay invested with us and could we better predict this. We always talk about how our business is primarily driven by performance. It's our calling card. It's all that an active manager has. But once someone has aligned themselves with our approach and committed to investing with us, the biggest factor driving your decision to stay with us as an investor is engagement. It's about commitment and we found that a second transaction reduces the odds of leaving in the first five years by about 50%. That's right, one transaction halves the odds of leaving. As a business, therefore, our target market is engaged customers or perhaps our business target is to engage our customers. Now, this is not to say that young people are not interested in investing nor that young people cannot be engaged. But what I am saying is that engaged people are of most interest to us and that it is perhaps a better problem to solve with potentially bigger rewards. So last year I went to Stanford Uni to study design thinking and due to the pandemic it was a virtual course conducted online. It was a great way to open my mind to thinking about product development and solving customer problems. A technique covered on the course was conducting an empathy interview. The premise being that speaking to customers is the true way to understand pain points, the real issues people face before trying to propose and develop solutions. Very much the opposite of build it and they will come. Now, if we look back at Platinum's business, it was formed in 1994. And I would argue, if I look at it through this framework, that when Platinum was set up, it solved two problems. The first problem it solved was specifically for one individual, George Soros, the well-known investor. Our co-founder, Kerr Nielsen, had managed money for him when he was at BT, and George was seeking a different perspective on the world. That's what we offer, being Sydney-based rather than in London, Boston or New York, like most global fund managers. And the second problem that Platinum solved was the idea that Australians wanted someone they could trust to look after their offshore assets. And all successful businesses originate from solving specific customer problems. But back to these young people and their trillion dollars. Recently, I held empathy interviews with several people born in the 1980s. They had a range of engagement levels, from no interest, people who tend to be captured by the default superannuation system, through interested and all the way to obsessed. What surprised me is that those who are interested want to DIY. When I was young in the UK, DIY meant B&Q, the equivalent of Bunnings. But for young investors, DIY or do-it-yourself comes in all shapes and forms. We talk about Dr. Google, the idea that 40% of Australians use Google as a starting point for diagnosing medical symptoms. We had the barefoot investor telling people they could do it for themselves and cheaply. We have Robin Hood and Ray's and Spaceship with their solutions and even Afterpay solving for instant gratification. Today's young investor who wants more than default super wants to get involved, take ownership of their own problem, and they're more likely to focus on solving this than investing in managed funds. So while managed funds like those that we offer exist to do the same, for many investing seems like a problem that is worth solving by themselves. The clear divide then is between default and DIY. So if you're under 40 and listening, we're delighted. If you're under 40 and you're using our funds, we're even more so. Welcome.
We find among our own investors there's a younger skew with those who have regular savings plans, and we added the platinum investment bond this year, which should appeal to this cohort. And I'm conscious that overcoming stereotypes is absolutely at the heart of our behavioural investment process, but do allow me to generalise. It certainly appears that active managed funds tend to appeal to customers at a later age. It is, if you like, a third way, beyond the early choice of default super or DIY. And it seems that arriving at the decision to use actively managed funds comes from very opposite perspectives. If you're a default super investor, there may become a point in your life where assets become meaningful, or taxes become complex, or retirement is looming. And again, I'm generalising, but seeking financial advice at that point makes sense. And this is often at around age 50. Managed funds are a core part of the financial advisor's toolkit, investment only being part of the overall advice solution. So many advisors choose to outsource the investment component to experts, and in this way many people are introduced to managed funds by their advisor. The alternative is if you're a DIY investor. You may realise at some point that getting good investment outcomes is time-consuming, or perhaps at some point the market might provide a rude awakening. Without a prolonged bear market in over a decade, not many have experienced this for a while. Self-attribution bias suggests that most people believe good investment outcomes are a function of skill rather than good luck. The last few years have seen markets benefit from a very asset-friendly policy backdrop, so I suspect self-confidence is high. But the reality is that managing portfolios is challenging, even for a large, well-staffed team of professionals. There will likely be a catalyst at some point for the hobby investor to outsource their portfolios and become a direct investor in managed funds. And this is likely to be the next proper bear market. Either way, the decision that leads someone to actively manage funds is likely to come later in life. The first decision will simply be default super or DIY. But what I know is that while our customer skews to the older demographic, I know that by listing this far, you're engaged. Indeed, everyone who started listing is engaged. It's just that they dropped off. It was my fault that I failed to keep them engaged. Now we can learn more about you by analysing the digital footprint you leave behind. We can even work out when you stop listening, though thank you for still being here. It's footprints like these that underpin investments we've made over time in companies like Alphabet or Google or Facebook or Tencent or Alibaba and many more. So thank you for listening. We look forward to continuing with you on your investing journey. And for our disclaimer, please read the landing page for this recording on our website.